This episode is brought to you by Audible. You guys, we have a partner for the show and it couldn't be more aligned with what you're already doing. And that is listening to people talking, consuming content via audio. So we're so excited to be able to partner with Audible, uh, which if you don't know, has over 180,000 books, audio books available for your consumption, waiting for you to get involved. I have been geeking out over Audible for a while now. And in the last week, with walking my dog, I have managed to finally read The One Thing, the book called The One Thing by Gary Keller. And I've absolutely loved the experience. At first, I wasn't sure about the narrator because the audiobook is all about the narrator. But over time, uh, I really got used to this voice and it felt like, uh, it felt just really personable and it allows me to multitask and consume content. So, what am I, why am I saying this? So basically, if you use our special link, which is audibletrial.com slash vegan, that's audibletrial.com slash vegan, you will be able to go get yourself a free audiobook of your choosing. It doesn't matter the cost. You'll get a credit to get any audiobook that you want in the first month of your trial. So head over to the link, check it out. If you love podcasting, you're going to love audiobooks as well. And look, thank you for supporting the show. What does it mean to live with less stuff and more compassion? That's the question we aim to answer every Monday on the Minimalist Vegan Podcast. Hello, hello. My name is Michael and I'm joined by my wife, Marsha, to break down the intersection between minimalism and veganism in addition to recipes and articles. Did you know we did that as well? Yeah, we published long form articles and 100% vegan recipes, um, all of which you can find on theminimalistvegan.com. So you ready for this episode? It is a bit of a heavy one, I must admit, but we felt like it was an important conversation to have. Uh, And in this week, we're talking about, is there such thing as humane meat? We hear that all the time and we used to do that as well. But, you know, we're looking for ways to do the right thing. And when it comes to buying meat, we're wanting to understand where it's coming from. In this conversation, we really look at the terminology used in a meat industry to see if it's in line with our values. So, uh, look, it does get a bit descriptive around some graphic processes at time in this conversation but you should know when that's going to be coming up so if it's too much you can skip ahead uh, in that instance so i hope you enjoy this conversation i hope you listen all the way through and as always would love to hear what you think i'll check back in after to fill in any gaps okay let's get into the topic yeah deep breath yes I hope I don't cry or get angry (laughs) or a mixture of the two because today we're talking about if there is really such a thing as humane meat Mm -hmm. or a way to kill an animal humanely. Right. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting topic. Yeah, because it's something that's really common that you hear all the time and Mm. even before we were vegan – this was a common dialogue between you and I in terms of, you know, if we're going to buy meat, how do we get the most sustainable, ethically sourced, um, humanely treated meat? Dead animals. Uh, <laughs> dead animals that we can possibly get. Yeah. Um, and we're willing to pay premium for that as well. Oh, yeah. That so, was my mindset the whole time. Absolutely. So, yeah. 
you know it's 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 very much embedded in our culture it's a and and i think it's definitely worth a conversation and it's a topic that you know i've been personally curious about but i know marsha hasn't been as keen because it involves us researching you know how animals are actually killed uh and i think we've got a general idea there wasn't a huge amount of surprises but i think nevertheless it's it's an important thing for us to do and to understand um but yeah it was hard it was hard looking at you know some of these practices and what's involved and oh look i should just say that you know as always we're going to try and uh, always be as objective as possible with this conversation um we're, we're purely just communicating what what's happening in the industry uh and just some social dialogue amongst culture about some of this terminology and some mm. of the brands and uh what these farmers and producers are using in their labeling and and how we interpret it as consumers and the terminology that's used because it's really interesting yeah more important than ever because there's more and more people that are becoming conscious consumers for sure so for people that do consume meat they want to be able to do it as ethically and sustainably as possible yeah i mean people want to know where their food are coming from Mm. so it only makes sense so yeah i mean did you want to take it back to before? Yeah, well, look, I think I think this all starts with it's in human nature to want to do the right thing. And in fact, that's taught to us in school through our parents at a very young age that we, you know, it's best practice to be kind and yeah. compassionate to each other. And, you know, if you get into a fight or you inflict violence or harm onto somebody else, you get in trouble for that. Mm. You get suspended, you get sent to time out, you know. You, things get taken away from you. There are consequences yeah. for acting in that way. And it's because naturally we are compassionate and kind individuals mm. and we're trying to avoid violence. So, um, you know, this goes all the way back to what it means to be human. And, you know, I think that's why we naturally feel love. That's why we feel sorrow. That's why empathy. we feel empathy and mm. sympathy for others in in different situations that's why we cry in movies that's why we cry in interactions that's that's just all part of human nature and emotions yeah Yeah. um and i think it's safe to say that these same feelings exist with other animals as well Mm. um you know i think animals have the ability to love and to feel pain and to feel suffering so um, you know, I think it all comes down to wanting to do the right thing. So, of course, as we said, when it comes to food consumption, we want to do the right thing. So, if meat is part of our diet, then we want to do the right thing. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are conscious consumers. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they're probably questioning where food is coming from, yeah. uh, whether it's vegan friendly or not. So, then it comes down to, okay, so where do you go next? Like, how do you go about finding ethically sourced or humanely sourced meat because that's in line with our values of being kind and compassionate Mm -hmm. okay so where does that lead us in in search of where to find ethically sourced meats well typically you'll find that at places like farmers markets organic butchers and uh, or even just going straight to the source and this was my mentality when when we used to eat meat because I didn't I typically wouldn't eat meat out Mm. I'd eat it only when I knew the source of it or could guarantee that it was organic grass-fed grain-free 
you know, hormone-free, antibiotic-free and all that sort and is of that, stuff. And is that because it was more from a, you're more motivated from a health standpoint? That and also the treatment of the animal. Sure. So I wanted to make sure that the animal was treated as well as it could be for the life that they had. Sure. I didn't want to support factory farming. I didn't want to support cruelty to the animals. I didn't want to support people that put profit before the welfare of their animals. Sure. So, um, and I used to ask a lot of questions and then I found a few different spots. So there was uh, one particular farmer at the markets that I used to get meat from and then a butcher that was a decent trek from here. And then um, the supermarkets started stocking organic meats. Mm. So when I couldn't get to those, I used to buy it from the supermarket. Yep. And, of course, they were more expensive than, you know, just the standard steak or chicken or whatever you'd find on the shelf. Mm-hmm. But I price wasn't an issue for me. Not that, you know, I'm swimming in money, but I actually... We're still broken and, and oh, buying yeah, organic meat. Yeah. <laughs> but food's <laughs> always been a priority for us, regardless, yep. vegan or not. And so I, yeah, I always used to make sure that I'd get the best that I could in the situation that I was in. I felt that I was doing my bit. Yep. And so I felt comfortable and okay with that. Yeah. I felt like I could sleep well at night knowing that I did what I could. And I know a lot of people that are like that. But it's interesting now talking to people that sound exactly like I was six, seven years ago and seeing how how they justify what they do Hmm. Um, because that's just a justification for continuing to do something. Yeah, because again, it's in our fabric and DNA and what's taught to us to be, to be kind and, and for that to be questioned would mean that your compassion and sympathy would be in question. So Mm. uh, of course there's going to be some justification there. It's only natural. Yeah. In in the local butchers and um, suppliers that you found, what what were some of the promises that they were making? What 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 made you feel confident in in the type of meat that you were buying? Well, they'd normally have the same sort of farms. They'd tell you actually where the farms were. Sure. Even use the farmers' names and you know kind of to build that relationship and build trust. They sort of understand that a lot of people wanted to source their food ethically Mm -hmm. and that that was important to them that it was free range pasture fed grass fed organic antibiotic free hormone free and all of those things that i mentioned earlier the one thing that um i found quite interesting is that this one particular butcher says that he utilizes the entire carcass of the beast to respect the animal's sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And I found that wording really interesting. It calling the animal a beast and that the animal has sacrificed. So, you know, therefore, because they actually, I don't know most butchers, but this particular butcher, he gets the whole animal. Sure. So then they break it down in store. Whereas sometimes that might be already done at the slaughterhouse and mm-hmm. then distributed out i'm not sure exactly how that part works but he wants to make sure that he's using every part of the animal to pay respect to that animal yeah that's given that sacrificed its life yeah 
for us to eat. Yeah. And you can understand, you know, how that can be perceived as respectful, right? You know, for like an animal to be bred for the purpose of our consumption, only for us to waste Mm. those parts is incredibly mm. disrespectful to the life that they lived oh, so yeah. i can i can do, i can understand that point of view of um you know being as resourceful as possible and eating every part of the animals like looking at in tribal communities or back in the history of how humans lived and in the in a hunter and gatherer sort of world it we only ate when we found food <laughs> so mm. and we lived in one with the land with the animals there was a lot of respect there so uh when our animals hunted yeah we ate everything so mm. and that was respectful that was about survival and that's how animals kill each other in the wild as well and from my understanding growing up i was taught that you know organ meats are tend to be one of more nutrient dense or the ones that we should actually and they've got specific use cases and yeah and healing as well yeah so and that's what i think that that's important if you're already quote unquote sacrificing that animal it's important to not let anything go to waste but speaking of food waste we waste so much food every single year that Mm. Obviously, it's not just plant-based foods, plants that are going to waste. So I think it's important to note that there's a lot of animals that die for our consumption that end up just going into the compost or Mm. into the bin because it's no longer safe for us to eat or we forget about it or we don't want to eat it. Yeah, or they get burnt or buried, uh, Mm. as I discovered in my research research. yeah, multiple carcasses just buried underground because they're condemned. They're no... I'll explain a little bit later. <laughs> Sorry, okay. Marsha's getting a bit freaked out. No, I'm just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Look, let, let's shift gears to that, actually, and, and, and get into the heart of, of this because I think uh, I think we can all understand that the benefits, uh, if you look at different levels of conscious consumerism, uh, trying to source ethically and humane uh meat i just wanted to sort of break down in case you don't already know what the process looks like for slaughtering a farmed animal um because i think if we're going to use words humane and ethical then i think we need to understand the process and and what what goes through and different countries have different rules and regulations in farming and slaughtering practices and there's different slaughtering acts out there um, and conventional abattoirs need to abide by the rules that in most Western societies mean that as much respect is shown as possible to these animals. And I think so we, the first thing, the first fundamental point I want to make is that in a farming practice, it's never the intent to wait until the animal naturally dies before consuming them for whatever we need them for, mm. right? Because at the end of the day, a farm is a business, Right now, ethical and humane grown meats. Unless the animal is a pet. Yeah, unless the animal is a pet. But ethical and ethical and humane meat grown in these um, in these environments live a longer life, yeah. uh, on average, naturally, yeah. um, than factory farm, which is fantastic. But it's still not as long mm. as an animal would normally live. Yeah. Um. You know, outside of. Uh, other ways of death, un- unfortunate, unforeseen events like that apply to human beings as well. So when you look at that, it's 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 not common practice to wait for an animal to naturally die. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so 
when the animal is ready to be slaughtered, they're sent off to the abattoir. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then in the in the conventional methods of slaughter and uh, to abide by humane practices, the first step is to make the animal unconscious because it, you know the phase two is to slit the throat of the animal to have it bleed out. Right. But to do that, if the animal is conscious, would inflict a lot of pain. So the whole idea is to make the animal unconscious before you go to that phase. Okay. So um, I hope, guys, this is not too graphic uh, as I'm explaining it. I'm just trying to explain it in step forms. To be honest, when I was doing research, I stayed away from YouTube. I tried and I couldn't do it. Um, So this is just a bit of an overview to understand the process. So... To make an animal unconscious, there's a few different methods to do so. They usually walk down a stunning box into a stunning area, right? So there's a lot of anticipation for these animals as they're all lining up and they normally arrive at the abattoir the night before the day of being slaughtered. Um, And And in a really stressful transportation where they're normally crammed and it's either really cold outside or really hot outside. So they're already going through a lot of trauma just to get there, regardless if they're organic, grass-fed, grain-fed. Yes, absolutely. And um, there was a really interesting video that I saw of an abattoir in Denmark, I believe, of um, what was something called... uh, It was an example of an ethical sort of abattoir. And really, it was just four minutes of footage showing pigs just walking and sleeping down all these sort of metal walkways and uh, and being directed. So um, in anticipation, a lot of uncertainty of what's going on. So they walked into the dining box and then you can either use, uh, you can either electrocute them. So you can um, electrically stun the animal. And uh, this is normally used with smaller animals like poultry or or sheep or things of that nature. So yeah, so the second method is when they use a captive bolt gun, uh, which is where they drive a large steel bolt into a pistol and uh, shoot it into the animal's brain. Uh, And then this is used for larger cattle like horses and cows, and it makes them unconscious. And then there's another method, uh, which is called, called controlled atmosphere stunning. And uh, we'll, we'll leave a a link to a, uh, a document I found that explains all these different methods, if you're interested. Uh, but it's it's pretty common knowledge for anybody out there. Um, but basically, this is used mostly for pigs. And uh, this is effectively just a gas chamber. So we're releasing CO2 gas into a small constrained area. And, and that's classified as humane. Yeah, that's classified as humane. And then basically, the, the animals take in this gas and then eventually become unconscious. Right? Now, sometimes the stunning methods don't work, okay? And and abattoirs... Especially if they're trying to work fast. Yeah, and abattoirs, are, are, the average age is well under the age of 35. Normally men are uh, working very fast, and we're talking of hundreds of animals, right, per day. Large scale here. Um, and mistakes are made. You know, you're trying to keep things moving um, because it's all about being as efficient as you can. So sometimes the stunning methods don't work. Um, and in that instance, um, more often than not, you need to, because it becomes really unsafe. So if you try to stun the animal and it doesn't work and then they're going crazy, then it becomes a safety hazard to the workers. So they have to deal with it really quickly, right? So in a lot of those instances, they'll use a hammer. Yeah, and to strike the animal to the head to knock it out. 
right? So that's phase one of making an animal unconscious. Phase two is then um, when the throats are severed. So slitting the throats of the animals. Now, Marsha, do you know why specifically it's practiced to slit the throat of an animal? No. So the whole idea of slitting the throat is to, to draw as much blood out of the animal as possible because retained blood can promote the growth of bacteria. Right, so what what normally happens is that you'd hang the animal upside down and slit the throat, and then they'll bleed out. So to remove all the bacteria as well, and then to to do the least amount of harm to the like to the animal in general. Um, so that's why it's least amount of harm. No, um, so <laughs> they're already dead. Yeah, so you don't um mess up the carcass basically, and then like small animals like birds, their necks are just generally slit. Uh, sometimes are hung upside down, sometimes not, because they're smaller. So from there, the carcass is distributed. So a meat sa- safety inspector, their job is to uh, sort of ascertain the health of the carcass. And then they'll determine whether it's suitable for human consumption, pet food, or it's going to be sent off. Some of the parts are going to be used in the pharmaceutical industry, or if it's going to be condemned. So that's what I was talking about before. So sometimes the carcass is not healthy for any of those uses. I'm not sure how they determine that. But once that is determined, the, uh, the animal is basically deemed as waste. Uh, and then they will either be burned or buried or however you distribute. This This should be done before they actually kill the well, they animal. Well, do. they do a check before as they come into the abattoir. Right. But sometimes in the stunning and the slitting of the throats, uh, some things might come up that may longer be useful right. in that industry. Um, so there's quite a lot of animal waste um, in that process as well. They try to limit it, of course. That you know, it's in the interest to not waste any animals. That's more money lost for the time invested, right? So, but it does happen. Um, so that's conventional methods. Then you've got traditional methods, like I read about like African slaughter, and I've experienced this firsthand. I haven't seen it firsthand, but I've experienced it when I went back to Ghana in 2005, and my uncle was showing respect to me and sacrificed one of his goats so we can have goat soup. Uh, at the time, I was eating meat, but I was a bit freaked out, but it was traditional, right? And, and what they do in, in Africa... So you saw the goat before you ate it? I saw the goat. Uh, no, I didn't. I saw goats. I didn't know which goat it was. Because okay. I, just, I just got off the plane... Said hello to everybody. I saw there was like a three or four goats. Next minute, one of the goats was uh, slaughtered. And what happens here is that three men will normally, it's pretty messy. Like three men will just pin down a goat. Um, There's no stunning or anything like that. Um, Slit the throat on the ground or bleed out on the ground. Uh, Like like one person will pull the neck back, you know, as the the goat struggling, slit the, the throat, and then the animal's left to bleed out. At that point, normally they'll quickly cut off the head completely. Islamic slaughter, so halal practice, um, that's all about ensuring that the animal is fully conscious um, as this is a requirement to ensure that um, all like all the blood, as much blood comes out of the animal as possible. To my understanding, I could be wrong, guys, don't quote me. Um, but yeah, so in the halal practice, the animal is conscious before they slit the throat. And then the same in Jewish slaughter, uh, slaughter as well. Um, the only difference between halal and kosher, which is a Jewish slaughter, is that the animals are shackled and hung upside down. But, you know, there are various ways to kill an animal, to kill anything, but these are the most conventional ways, okay? 
Whoa. Okay. So that's um, a lot of information to drop onto everybody now. If we look back at the process and we're, look, I'm trying to take my emotion out of this. I'm vegan, but I'm just trying to be really pragmatic about this. In the slaughtering, animal slaughtering industry, where they draw the line for humane and ethical in the act of slaughter has everything to do with whether the animal is conscious or unconscious before you kill it to reduce the amount of pain that they feel, right? That's where the line is drawn about unconscious or conscious yeah. using stunning. So, but there's no consideration for the lead up and the anxiety for the animals in the lead up to death. Um, and, then, and then I'm really interested in this use of terminology. Mm. So, um, so you've got terminology like humane, uh, which means having or showing compassion or benevolence. What does that mean? Showing compassion means sympathetic pity, concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. That's interesting to me. So then I keep going down these words, these buzzwords used. Ethical. So dealing with the principles of morality. Okay, so what is morality? It means to be concerned with the principles of what is right or wrong behavior. Okay, think back to what you learned as a child about what is right or wrong. What we deem as right or wrong when we inflict violence upon another human. And what are the consequences for that? Yeah. What are the consequences for murder? What are the consequences for rape? What are the consequences for any of these acts of violence that we think are terrible, terrible things? But it's also to what's, what species we seem. So, for instance, if the same violence was inflicted on a dog as it is to a cow or a sheep... Depending on where you are, yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't be deemed okay. Yeah, we may interchangeably use those words of morality and compassion and ethical and humane depending on the bias that we feel towards the species. Mm. Species could be your family against another human. Species could be your dog against other, uh, other things that could harm it. So when we look at the terminology used in these farms where you source ethically sourced meat, in the legislation uh, that you know, enforce these rules for these abattoirs, uh, I can't help but see a, a direct contradiction Mm. So, and, and to highlight this point, just to bring a bit of lightness to this conversation, because it's not, not pretty, gee, this was my idea to do this podcast, guys, sorry. Yeah, that's why I'm quite um, I'm struggling with it. <laughs> I remember early on when we started dating, I thought I was being really romantic and I... Totally. But I bought us tickets to a premium uh, cinema. And at the time, it was pretty new to like, you know, go get premium tickets to a cinema. What, like nine years ago? Yeah. So, and and I picked a movie which I thought, well, it is. It, it is still a, like a like a, lo- a love story. It wasn't a rom-com. It was just like a love story drama, I thought. I didn't did read you... the cover. I just read a little bit of the description. Oh, okay, so you didn't watch a preview I think I watched the trailer as well. I know it, it seemed pretty harmless. didn't show too much. Yeah. Right. Um, do you want to explain what the experience was like from your perspective? Yeah, so I just thought we were going to like a romantic sort of drama or yeah, a romance movie. Me too. <laughs> and so we're sitting there, you know, we've got our feet elevated back a little bit further back and just ordered chilling out, ordered some food and indulging and whining and dining with the screen. And then, I don't know, it wasn't even that far into it, maybe 10, 15 minutes in. We're sitting there and there's the... Well, I don't want to... Yeah, give no, no, the, the giveaway of the spoilers. So the movie's called Never Let Me Go. We're about to 
give out some spoilers. If yeah, you haven't so watched it, then and if you, you want to watch it, skip ahead. Yeah. So yep. they are. So there's these children. It's like an orphanage, and there's all of these things that are happening that were really weird. I mean, we watched it almost ten years ago. So, and I've tried to forget it, <laughs> and it's been impossible to forget. But this is my memory of it. And then this teacher. So these kids were like teenagers, right? I don't know if they were even teenagers. Yeah, no, they were they were younger. Were they? Yeah, when the opening yeah, scene of the movie, were, they were quite young. Yeah, so I'd say maybe between eight and twelve. Yeah. No, yep. Yeah. So they, the teacher, ends up telling them that the reason that they're there is because they don't have families and homes to go to, and they're actually using them as organ donors. Mm. So they will have their organs extracted one by one, ones that like they'll take out the ones that they can keep them alive Mm. for a certain amount of time to the point where they take obviously their vital organs that they can't live without and then they die. Yeah. And And because the whole idea is that um, a, a new technology was found to increase the lifespan of human beings. Um, rich human beings who can afford to do so could extend their lives well beyond 100 um, if they leveraged these organs from younger humans. Yeah. So these humans were effectively put in this place and bred for the purpose of using their organs and uh, normally all of their organs would be used by the time they turned 28. So when we watched that Pretty scene and, <laughs> yeah. and, the, and the teacher was explaining this to them, I just turned to Michael and... I was just in shock and I thought, by the way, let's state that this was for my birthday. (laughs) Oh, yeah, right. Oops. (laughs) And I'm not like I don't like movies like that and I don't, you know, like I find that pretty scary, anything of that nature and for him to take, I lost it. I got so angry and then he turned to me. I think you just looked really confused. You're like, I'm so sorry. I don't think you I thought any clue I thought it was going to change. I thought the movie was just going to like um, get better, get better, get more positive. But it didn't. And I think, look, it, it's not. It's a drama movie. But I think what was really deflating about the film was that you no, know, in in the middle of this, there's a love triangle, but they all have an expiry date on their lives. Like, there's awareness. Like, I think we all live knowing that we have a hope to live for a long time, Mm. right? There's a level of optimism that we have in our lives. But to have that taken away and to know that there's an expiry on your life is really deflating. And I think the fact that these kids felt helpless, like they were psychologically broken to the point... they did say, like, if you fall in love or something happens, there's an out. Yeah, well, all these rules, well, all these... Uh, rumors supposedly rumors are sort of made up about how you can get out of this system but even those closed doors everywhere you looked like they tried they but like not until sort of towards the end did you know that that was actually all crap yeah they didn't yeah it was was false hope yeah there was no actual it it got more depressing it got more depressing so yeah but it was just the fact that their hope was taken away from them that was super depressing and Mind you, until that teacher tells them, they're not actually meant to know any of this. Yeah. They're just meant to live a normal life, normal. 
um, in this orphanage and bit by bit. But eventually it gets explained to them because yeah. that's the process, right? Like we're going to be taking your organs uh, in different cycles and you have awareness and you just accept it. It was the acceptance that was frustrating. It was the fact that no one was really rebelling or fighting against it. Mm. It was like they just accepted it because they're mentally broken. Um, that's what made the movie really sad. Um, but memorable. So I guess it was a pretty good movie because we're still talking about it now. But the reason why I wanted to bring that up is, you know, when you look at breeding an animal on a farm, you know, no matter the type of life that they live, yes, ideally you want them to live the best life that they can um, compared to being caged up uh, in factory farm. No doubt about it. But the fact that the sole purpose of your existence is to be consumed, to be slaughtered and consumed uh, for your flesh and your skin and whatever um, is really depleting, right? And it kind of feels like this movie like where... Like you've got an end date. Yeah, like this movie at the age of 28, all your organs are gone and you're going to die. You've served your purpose, yeah. right? To extend somebody else's life. That's really dark and we can all agree with that as human beings, but this is happening at scale with animals all the time. Yeah. So I just think that like, why we feel this way about this movie is that because I have a desire to live. Uh, I assume you have a desire to live and I assume if you listen into this, you have a desire to live, mm. right? I think it's safe to say that animals have a desire to live. So my question is, how can you show compassion or benevolence to any sentient being and slaughter them when they have a desire to live. I just don't see how that makes that's any possible. sense, how that's possible. So the fact that this is used in terminology in farming practices, in abattoirs, in all of this stuff is, it's really just a way to justify, to make us feel better about the death and the lives that we're taking away. Yeah. Because our taste buds and our traditions and cultures and the way that we've been raised and what we've been doing all our lives, to some people may seem like it's too hard to shift. Mm. And so that they try and do everything that they possibly can to make sure that they are doing the right thing. Yeah. So that they can continue doing what they're doing. For sure. So we, we can try and justify all we want, but at the end of the day... Regardless if the animal's been raised in a factory farm or if it's been raised on a green pasture, it's still going to end up at the same slaughterhouse. Yep. And killed in the exact same way, probably at the exact same age. Yes, it might have a little bit better life, but it's going to die when it doesn't want to die. Yes. So... It's probably, I think this conversation is more about terminology, right, that we use in culture because, um, you know, when I interact with people and uh, and, and, and non-vegans and particularly about the topic when it comes to where they source their meat, Hmm. um, I'm noticing now that there's a lot of hesitation from people when, when they go to say, oh, but I only eat meat from this butcher, because it's ethically humane and I feel people stuttering now I don't know if actually people believe what they're saying I don't think they actually believe it well when they've been put on the spot and they're talking to someone that completely disagrees with how they live their lives without like I find that intimidating wouldn't you like if I wasn't vegan and then I was trying my best to buy the best source for sure I'd think twice about the terminology about humane or ethical 
Or even but just what I'm doing, you know. Yeah. It's kind of like, hang on a second, you start to maybe question yourself because you're faced with someone that's really living the the best humane way that they possibly can and treating all life with compassion. Yeah. Then you almost feel like you can't justify your actions to them. I mean, really, the only way that you can humanely consume an animal, which I don't believe most people would, is to eat roadkill. Mm. Because that's kind of it's happened accidentally. Roadkill or an animal that naturally dies. Yes. Which, which again, it's like I haven't. I don't know. Maybe if, look if you've if, if you've listener if you've heard of. This I'd love to know, but like, yeah, is there a systemic procedure where you're sourcing meat from animals that have naturally died? Mm. Like that, I don't see that on any labels. I don't see that position in any marketing material because because it the, doesn't sell. It wouldn't generate the scale. A long time. I mean, you've got thanks, Thanksgiving comes up, Christmas comes up. There's huge demand for turkey, for turkeys, for for pigs. But like, there's so much demand for meat in our society that we wouldn't be able to sustain that demand with naturally dying animals. I mean, maybe once upon a time when people had small farms and had a few animals that they were treating more like pets. Sure. Um, you know, mainly just to eat the grass and keep all of the weeds at bay and all of that sort of stuff. But they were probably still using them for other things like yeah. milk and eggs and whatever else. Yeah. But that's... But that's kind of weird as well, isn't it? Because, like, you're waiting. It's like not... I'm waiting for you to die so so I can eat you. Yeah, it's like, oh, so, yeah. How how, how are you feeling? (laughs) How's your health? (laughs) That's a bit strange. But, like, but it's, Mm. you know, if we're talking about something humane, that's at least giving liberty to an animal to have the destiny that they were destined to have without our intervention. It's not like you're probably waiting. Like, I wouldn't say that people would wait and be like, okay... You know, hurry up, I want to eat you, if that's the case. I think that they just, they want to be resourceful. Sure. And, but then again, is that animal, did it die of natural causes or was it sick or, you know, like. Yeah, that's true. From a safety standpoint as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like what kind of meat are you eating? Mm. So maybe that's probably why a lot of the time that. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. If you think about. Um, you know, these meat safety inspectors and their job is like there's there's a process there to ensure that it's it's edible for cu- human consumption. So, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of implications, just like how humans get older and there's a lot more implications with their health. Yeah. I mean, how healthy would it be to consume an animal that is died naturally and is unhealthy? Yeah. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I think if there was a time to use that word, it would be in that context and that, but... Mm. But otherwise, yeah. And it's also not healthy with roadkill because you don't know how long it's been laying there for. Yeah. Unless you hit it yourself or if, you know, something happened and you were called and it was dealt with appropriately. So it's tricky, but they're the only two ways that we can think of that it can be done in a humane way, whether it's safe for human consumption or not that's a different story but that's really the only humane way to yeah to to process it. otherwise we're we're intentionally prematurely taking a life of an animal for our consumption um, much, yeah with much younger against than. their desire to live so yeah. I, I, again i just and honestly can't don't, see how you use those t- don't think that 
you know, like dairy and eggs and vegetarianism is actually any better because it's in many ways it's not. You're still contributing to the death of oh for sure of animals prematurely. Yeah, because you know for for eggs, male chicks have no purpose. So literally, as soon as they hatch, they get ground up in a machine because they're deemed as a byproduct and they can't lay eggs. So there's no purpose for them. And then those chickens, when they stop laying eggs, then their life is over. It's the same with milk, with, you know, with dairy cows. They get artificially inseminated, forcibly inseminated. They're pretty much pregnant or lactating all the time. Mm. Their babies get taken away from them anywhere between one day to a week after they are born, Mm. which again, animals feel pain. So that happening to them every single time that they give birth when that milk is intended for their baby, it's like humans. Mm. Our milk, a mother's breast milk is intended for her baby. Not for any anybody else to drink, but for the baby. Yeah. So once she's done all of her hard work and she just can't actually be pregnant or produce milk anymore, then she goes and gets slaughtered. So in many ways, it's and, actually... And even, I suppose, even in the act of producing milk or her calf being taken away from her, that's against her desire for that to happen. So again, when we use that terminology of compassionate, so I mean, again, sympathetic pity, concern, sufferings from misfortune of others or showing compassion or benevolence. Again, this terminology can be used in that context as well. Yeah. You know. And they actually live a much harder life. Taking somebody's human baby would would not be considered a compassionate act. No. You know, so like stealing somebody, a mother's baby would not yeah. be considered a compassionate act. No. So um, there'll be serious repercussions for that. Yeah. Yeah. And they actually serve a much harder life than a, an, than a cow that wasn't pregnant and lactating all the time. Yep. So, you know, dairy and, and egg industries are in some ways worse because they abuse that abuse. I use in the sense that they are, doing things that aren't as they're natural to them, but they are done at such a rate that is unnatural to them. Sure. That their lives end up being much harder in the end than a cow or a chicken that was just raised for their meat. Yeah. Look, there's lots to consider here. Um, anyway, I'd, I just think it's interesting uh, as we all look at this labeling and we all have a, a huge curiosity to find out where our food is coming from. You know, I think in that process, let's understand the terminology that's used and is it in line with your values of trying to be, you know, kind and compassionate. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm already a bit drained talking about this, but um, look, thank you for bearing with us with this conversation and being open to sort of us sort of understand this process a little bit better now we're by no means experts in animal slaughter i I just think um we just wanted to better understand how that works and and how it ties into some of the terminology that's used Mm. when we're trying to decide what what to support yeah you know what food to consume specifically in this case meat um so anyway i hope hope that was insightful maybe you already knew all of this um but you know, if you have any other examples or any other insights, you can always reach out to us on social media on our website. 
uh, would love to hear from you and uh, let us know if you want some more episodes like this one and uh, because I think it's important for us to talk about these things every now and then. Because we do hear it and I'm sure that most people that are listening to this either feel this way or have heard someone else talk about it. For sure. In this way. Yeah. Um, which is that they only consume humanely slaughtered. Well, they wouldn't say the word slaughtered, but they, they consume humane meat. Yep. So I think it's important to kind of break that down and actually process what that actually means. Yep. Sure. Cool. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you, guys, and I hope we haven't scared you too much. <laughs> yep. All right, see you next week. Bye. Bye. All right, guys, episode 36 of the Minimalist Vegan Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you listened all the way through. It's very important for us to talk about the reality of what it means to slaughter animals for meat consumption, where it comes from, is it ethical, is it humane, all these things that are part of our culture and society is important for us to talk about. So hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully you found like you got something out of it or reinforce some things that you already believe in. In any case, we've made sure to link to some of the resources that we mentioned in the episode over at the show notes, which can be found at theminimalistvegan.com slash 036. That's theminimalistvegan.com slash 036. And as always, I just wanted to give a shout out to everybody who has left a rating or review for our podcast show. It helps people find our episodes, our conversations, uh, to see if it can inspire them to live with less stuff and more compassion. So please share this podcast with your friends if you haven't already, if you think it's going to be of good use to them. And thank you for your attention and your time. All right, I'll chat to you next week.